Welcome back to Sunday School. I'll be your host, Sean Kelly. Kelly. You have a toast? You say you're I was toast. I'm on my way back, I think, I hope. Um, a couple of people asked me how I, I am. I think about 80, 85%, so that's probably close to normal for me, about 80, 85%, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, so I'm doing much better. Thank you for your prayers. I appreciate it. Uh, glad to be back. We're glad to be back in uh, regular Sunday school here. Um, I'm excited about Second uh, Samuel. Uh, this is an interesting book. Uh, I think uh, a lot of good things in here. I'm, I'm already excited about the first lesson because I think there's some really interesting things to talk about in the first chapter even of Second Samuel. So the first lesson I'm talking about next week's lesson. I'm not big on introduction uh, summary lessons because it's like trying to condense a whole book down into 45 minutes. So we'll, we'll talk about a few things here. Second uh, Samuel, uh, of course, is kind of a continuation of First Samuel. And uh, we'll talk about reasons why that is. Um, so you'll see a lot of things that are very similar to maybe if you can remember all the way back to our introduction to First Samuel, we'll see a lot of things that are very similar about the two books. And there's reasons for that, uh, it's, but we'll we'll not try to give any uh, spoiler alerts here or anything like that. So we'll look through that in time here. But before we start, let's go ahead and open in prayer. And since Ted's the last one in the classroom, I'm going to ask him to lead us in prayer to start with. That's a punishment, yes, <laughs> or maybe a blessing. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Type of thing. There you go. Amen. So introduction to the book of 2 Samuel. For those of you who are observant like my son Nathan, um, I stole the template from my introduction to the book of 1 Samuel and did a really good job except for changing the title. <laughs> and so you can see a handwritten 2 in front of Samuel. Luckily, that's the only thing I had to change. Um, I got here this morning and said, oops, I forgot that. So, so introduction to the book of 2 Samuel. Um, the author, not Samuel. Surprise, surprise. Um, yeah, uh, thanks for spoiling my, my lot here. Uh, no, uh, yeah, you, you read like New Testament books, like the, the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Who are they written by? Right? They're written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? You have First uh, and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, which are written by Peter and John. You have Jude, which is written by a guy named Judas, but we don't like to say that it's written by Judas because that name has bad connotations, so we changed it to Jude in English. Uh, but that's basically his name. Um, Pauline epistles are a little different. Timothy's not written by Timothy. It's written to Timothy. Titus is not written by Titus. It's written to Titus. It's written by Paul. But for the most part, you know, and you have prophets. Isaiah, maybe not written by Isaiah, maybe written by one of his, his servants or one of his prophet underlings. Uh, but written, it's his words. Uh, so it's what Isaiah said, the prophecies that Isaiah had. So it's either written by him or by somebody who was with him. Kind of idea. Samuel was not written by Samuel, and as Lynn pointed out, 2 Samuel especially cannot have been written by Samuel, because Samuel's been dead for a while, and if you're paying attention to 1 Samuel, you'll know that he's been dead. This would be really hard for him to write this. 
Um, Jewish tradition attributes the writing of Samuel to Samuel. Jewish tradition is wrong. Um, this is impossible based on 1 Samuel 25.1, which talks about that, uh, this verse talks about that it came to the past that Samuel died. So he's dead in 1 Samuel. He couldn't have written 2 Samuel. The events have taken place after his death. Um, other traditional authors include the prophets Nathan or Gad. Uh, who is Nathan? Yes, other than that, Nathan. Other than, other than that, Nathan. We got two Nathans in here. I'm talking about the prophet Nathan. Who is the prophet Nathan? Does anybody remember Nathan? Okay. He was one of the prophets that was around during David's kingship here. Um, and we're going to talk about him in a little bit later, important people in Second Samuel. But he was a prophet who served God during the time of David's kingship. Um, and then Gad, Gad we've been introduced to already. Who is Gad? Yeah, Gad was around when David was in exile from Saul. Remember that uh, David actually had gone to Gad a couple times to get some word from the Lord about what he should do. And Gad gave him what God had instructed him. So Gad had been actually in the story already. And so some Jewish tradition says, well, maybe Nathan or Gad wrote this. I, I don't think either of those are right, but those are some traditional authors that people have suggested for this. The actual author of Samuel is unknown. We don't know who wrote First or Second Samuel. Um, the original writings of First and Second Samuel were one book, and they are in the Hebrew Scriptures. Um, the division of the two books originated with the Alexandrian translators of the um, Septuagint. That's what the LXX stands for. Um, and about the 4th century A.D. So originally this is one book, and in Hebrew scriptures it still is one book. Um, and really when you look at it, it, it really is one story, where Second Samuel picks up is immediately after the events of the end of 1 Samuel. It, it just kind of continues on. Um, and we kind of look at this book, and we look at 1 Samuel as kind of, this is Saul's kingship, is 1 Samuel, and 2 Samuel is David's kingship, but you, really the book is really about David. The whole thing is really about David's story. How does David come about? It's really not about Saul, even though Saul dominates a lot of what goes on in 1 Samuel. It's really about where David comes from, and how David becomes king, and how David becomes chosen of God uh, to be the leader of Israel. And I think some further implications, I think God intended more to be beyond David and point us to where Christ is going to come from. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. The date of the writing. Um, I have sometime after 931 B.C. This is when I think it was. I think this is based on references to Judah and Israel being separate kingdoms. Uh, we see this, and we're not going to look at these passages, we'll look at some passages later. But you can look these up on your own time. Um, in 1 Samuel 11, 8, uh, chapter 17, verse 52, and 18, 16, we get references to both Judah and Israel. Um, this would be more likely if you have two separate kingdoms of Judah and Israel, which makes it sometime after the kingdom divides, which is sometime after the reign of Solomon. Because up until the time of Solomon, you mainly have one kingdom. So sometime after 931 B.C. is probably the most likely time, which is why I don't think Nathan or Gad are possible authors because they would have been contemporaries of David and they would have been probably long dead by time of the end of the reign of Solomon. Uh, so probably before the Babylonian captivity, which is 586 B.C., uh, First and Second Kings were written during the captivity and since the literary style of First and Second Samuel is different than that of First and Second Kings, it was probably written at a different time. 
So this was put in between 931 B.C. and 586 B.C. Uh, most likely it was written shortly after the dividing of the kingdom, since there's little reference to the decay and ultimate conquest of Israel and Judah. So it puts it sometime between 931 and 586, probably closer to 931 B.C. That's a guess. Again, with the author being unknown, and we don't really have a time of writing it, it's, it's not terribly important, but it's good to kind of know when did this happen. Probably sometime after the kingdoms divide, but not long after. So the chronology of the writing. Chronology meaning the time of the writing. What does it cover? So it starts at Saul's death. And it starts immediately after Saul's death. And we're going to see this next week as we start actually studying out the scripture. That the first event is David gets news of Saul's death. So this is immediately picks up right after the events of 1 Samuel. Uh, this, is, this is like same day type stuff. Uh, so, so from 1011 B.C. to the time of David's last words in his death at, at 971 B.C. So this is basically a 40-year period during the time of David's reign. This covers David's kingship. Uh, 2 Samuel picks up the story of 1 Samuel immediately after the death of Saul and begins with David's response to Saul's death. And it covers the reign of David, the second king of Israel. So look, we're through half a sheet already. This is going to be fast, right? But I haven't even got to the board yet, so it's very... We're going to get to the fun part here. So important themes in Samuel. The establishment of Judah as ruler and the Davidic covenant. Let's open up our Bibles. 2 Samuel, chapter 7. We're not going to cover this in great detail, but I want to, I want to talk a little bit about it and, and discuss maybe some side things here because we have some time this morning. So it'll be kind of fun. It'll be fun for me. I don't know if it'll be fun for you, but you get to come along for the ride. Second Samuel 7, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. Who would like to volunteer to read? Nathan. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish your kingdom. You shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You don't have to fight with Lemuel for that, because Lemuel's not feeling well, by the way, so if you could be in prayer for him, he's uh, a little bit under the weather. So, we miss him, and his raising his hand. And what? He does have the fastest hand. So, um, so, so the Davidic covenant is a big theme in in this book. I think this is a, a big purpose of why God gave us First and Second Samuel is to show that he's establishing something, he's doing something here uh, concerning the Messiah. By the way, let's, let's start with Messiah. Very Hebrew term. What does Messiah mean? Very good. What does it mean to be anointed? You should know this. We've, we've seen a... I think I saw the anointed right, wrong, right? One end? Is it? It's one end. Huh? It is one end, right? Yeah, it's one end. I always put two ends in, too. I think it looks right with two ends, but it's wrong. What is it? Yeah, it's kind of an idea to be set apart. Be chosen. 
It, it's, you, you anoint the king, you set him apart, you choose him, you, you, you pick him out for a certain task. He's going to be the king. That's to anoint someone. What, what's, there's a Greek word that we use that's probably more common. That's when you use Jesus Christ, it's Jesus the Messiah. Hebrew or the, the Greek term that's the same as the Hebrew one here, Messiah. So um, this the Davidic covenant had deals with God and the Messiah here, his Messiah. That's what we're talking about. Is his chosen one, his anointed one. Um, I want to talk a little bit about covenants because you probably maybe some of you are thinking, okay, wait a second, we're dispensationalists, we're not covenant theologians. Why are you talking about covenants, right? Where do you think of that, Abigail? Okay. Um, covenant theology is a totally different thing. Covenant theology deals with how you interpret scriptures and how you deal with how God is dealing with mankind. It doesn't have to deal with actual covenants. Covenant theology has nothing to do with covenants in the Bible. The covenants of covenant theology are the covenant of works, covenant of grace. Uh, sometimes they add another one in there. But they actually don't, these covenants, the covenant of work and covenant of grace, are not actually in the Bible. They don't, have to, they don't deal with that. I'm not going to go into that this morning. What we're talking about is the actual covenants that God made. A couple of the ones I want to talk about is the Abrahamic covenant. This one doesn't work. I'm not going to talk about a whole lot about it, but there's three parts to this covenant. Covenant. So what are the three parts of this? You guys should know this. The easy stuff for you. Three parts. Abigail? No. That's the Noahic covenant. Abrahamic. Okay. So offspring. Oops. Can't be three ones. Offspring. Land. And blessing. Right? So God makes an unconditional covenant with Abraham. If you give him offspring, your descendants will be as the multitude of stars and the sand of the seas. So you give him land. Behold, everywhere your eye sees this land, and your foot walks, I'm going to give to you. And blessing, you're, you will be a blessing to all nations. And he promises Abraham that, right? That's a that's a blessing, and the blessing part you're going to be a blessing to all nations. We understand how is he going to do that? Yeah, these actually these actually really all relate together very well, don't they? You know, this is going to be, and then he's going to rule over the land. So it all kind of works together. Okay. So, so we're going to look at this here. Now, let's look at this here because this is very good here. So verse 12, uh, let's read this together again. Uh, when your days are... Uh, uh, let's not read it out loud here, but, but what, are the, what are the parts of this covenant that God is making with David here? Tell me what, what God's promising to David. What's he going to do for David? Okay. And I will see that set up your seed after you. 
Okay. Okay, for how long? Forever. Okay. Um, I'm going to call this the everlasting kingdom, right? His kingdom is going to be an everlasting kingdom, right? What else? also going to be here, there's going to be an eternal king, right? Not only is the king going to last, but there's going to be a king that sits on that everlasting throne. That's important because you can have a kingdom going on forever, but there's also going to be a king that's going to be a king on the throne. Now, um, I'm going to skip over the rest because that's, that's included in all this. Um, so the, Sean, I just noticed something here. It, just, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it, in relation to this, what we're talking about is this, I will be his father and he shall be my son. Yep. But then he comes in and he says, if, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. And that's a picture of Christ taking our sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, he says, if he sins, he, he, he won't be able to, you know, I want to say won't be able to, but I mean, he's going to bear our sins. He's going to bear our sins, yeah. He's going to be our Now, how do we know that this is going to relate to the Messiah, to Christ? How, how do we know that this isn't something else? What, what, does, what does David's kingdom look like right now? Is there a kingdom for David right now? No. In fact, the, the, the nation Israel right now has a, a prime minister and a parliament and stuff, and there's no king there. There's no eternal king reigning on the throne. So we know that this hasn't taken place yet. So if God's going to keep this promise to David, this has to happen sometime in the future. God has to keep this promise somehow. And we know that this is something that is going to again relate Jesus. Yes. Well, and the prime minister is not a king either. He he can get voted out. <laughs> his his kingdom is. His kingdom is not going to be everlasting. I can guarantee that. Um, you can you kind of keep your finger or put a paper in Second Samuel because we'll be back there. But if you go to Genesis forty nine, Genesis 
And if somebody wants to read verse 10, go ahead, Josiah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And there, that's uh, the prophecy of Jacob, his last words to his son. And uh, he said to Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And we discussed this when we were discussing Saul. And remember that God made a promise to Saul that if uh, Saul was obedient, he would have an everlasting kingdom also. And remember, my theory was that, however it happened, that um, if Saul would have remained obedient, God would have kept that promise somehow. It wouldn't have been the messianic kingdom because God already promised that to Judah. But Saul would have had some kind of kingdom under Christ somehow forever that his descendants would have been kings over Israel, some part of Israel. Uh, but God all along intended Judah to be the tribe in which the Messiah would have come from. And even in Genesis we see that happening. Let's, let's read on here. Um, interesting enough, First and Second Samuel are framed by a theme of, a, of the anointed king. So Second Samuel 2.10, somebody can read that right off the sheet in your room, go ahead. And there at the end there, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So it talks about the anointed king there. And then in 2 Samuel twenty two fifty one, Go ahead, Lid. He is the power of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants, Barbara Horn. Again here, it is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed. So the kind of the idea of his anointed king is just this theme that continually runs through, uh, if you can think about it, again, we look at this as two books. This is one book here, this book of Samuel, uh, the anointed king theme, this uh, establishment of Judah as ruler, as God's anointed king, as his vessel for bringing about the Messiah. Um, and then the promise of the Messiah to come through David, we already looked at uh, Samuel seven twelve through 16 here, um, that he's going to establish David's kingdom and that uh, verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Again, we don't see that the kingdom lasted on earth that long, so we know that there's a future kingdom coming that God's going to establish, and that it's going to be a forever kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. And because we know the end of the story, we know God has given us the end of the story, we know that Christ is coming back and that Christ is going to establish his kingdom, and he is going to rule over Israel. He's going to literally rule over the nation of Israel, he's going to sit on the seat of his father David and be that king and fulfill that promise to David that he's going to be king over all of Israel. And so um, this is a, a humongous theme here that God is setting up from that Abrahamic covenant that you know, you're going to have a land, you're going to have a descendant, and you're going to be blessed in all nations. Now he's, he's, he's funneling it down now to, from Judah down to David and say, okay, David's going to be one of your offspring. It's going to be one of your descendants that is going to be the Messiah. And so we're, we're getting, uh, if, if you're looking at this through history, it's, it's you know, in Adam, you know, you know, the seed of the woman. Okay, it's somebody. Down to Abraham, it's one of your descendants. Okay, now it's down to David. It's funneling it down, and we're getting more and more clues as to who the Messiah, who God's anointed is going to be. And God's revealing this to mankind, who's, 
who's coming and who's going to be the one who's going to be the ruler, who's going to be the king. These are need promises because, like, a lot of times the covenant is this this two-sided agreement. If you do this, I'll do this, and if I do this, you'll do this type of thing. These are these are God says, you don't do anything. I'm 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 going to do this. This is all on me. This is all on God doing this. That's where people do get hung up, yeah. No, and and it's you know God God is is the provider of the salvation. It's our faith in what God has promised. Um, so important theme in, in Samuel. So I think this is the big big overall theme. This is where I think Samuel is such a neat book because it's it's again it's another one of these pivot points where all of a sudden God has revealed okay even more okay it was, we we know it from Abraham we know it's it's going to be one of his descendants, and we learn from Jacob that it's going to be someone from Judah. Now we we got it down to David. It's it's, it's coming down. It's it's starting to reveal itself um, in time. And again, uh, you know, we we're we're kind of blessed. We know the whole story. We we know the beginning from the end. God has revealed everything through the scriptures, and so we know we know how how things turn out. We got revelation, right? We we got the final story. We can read the end, but it. it if you think about this in history, and I know it's hard to do sometimes, but you kind of go through it. This is kind of a neat point. All of a sudden, God goes, here's what I'm doing for you, David. I'm going to establish your kingdom. It's going to be an everlasting kingdom, and your descendants are going to sit on the throne forever and rule over your kingdom. That's, that's really such a neat point in history. I mean, imagine that. And it's such a cool thing that God's revealing there. So, so neat theme there. The second one, and, and this is the same in... in and kind of the same in First Samuel. I added a little more information here, but the demonstration of personal and national effect of sin. Um, and, and you look at David, and David, again, we talked about this. He's the he's the man after God's old heart, right? You know, this is this is the guy where um, you know I want to say who 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 does God say is is like him in heart? And you'd say, well, David. David's the man after God God's own heart. And you look at David's life, and um, you know you look in First Samuel, and he had Saul in a position where he could have just taken down Saul and, and taken the kingdom for himself. And you know none of us would have said, "Well, 
David was wrong in doing that. You know, it's like oh, Saul's right there, and God promised him the kingdom. David should have taken his life, right? What does David do? No, it's not not my place to take the the life of the the, the anointed one of God, that one that God anointed. I'm going to trust God and put it in His hand. And this upright man, and, and you go through, and we'll see in Second Samuel where David makes choices and, and makes decisions. You go, well, David's doing the right thing. And then he has these two horrific times where he he sins against God. And, and the consequences of what happens because he, he fails to obey God. And um, I, I listed them here. Uh, David's sin with Bathsheba, and it, it cost him personally. Three of his sons end up dying because of the results of his sin. Um, one son murders another son. Another son dies because he rebels against his dad. And then a the third son dies as, as immediate consequences because he dies in childbirth, or just shortly after childbirth. He loses his throne for a time. He goes into exile again because one of his sons rebels because of sin. And, and then there's a division in the nation of Israel because of what he had done. And so the consequences of his sin because he did not obey God. And then, uh, then David sins later in his life. Uh, he, he chooses to number the people when God tells him not to. And he gives a choice of, here's, you get three choices of how you're going to be punished because of this. The cost of your sin. He chooses that uh, the three days of pestilence, and seventy thousand people in the nation of Israel die because of David's sin. And it just gets to that third day, and David goes, "Why? Why these people died because of me?" And it really breaks his heart that innocent people are dying because of what he did. Um, and, and and maybe you see that that David's heart really is is just hurt because of that. That he realizes how bad his sin really is there, and. and the one difference we see, do see in David, though, both times David comes back and repents of the sin, comes back to God and takes care of that before God. Um, one of the things that we end up having because of David's sin is Psalm 51, uh, a beautiful song of repentance, a beautiful song of coming back to God and saying, God, I've sinned before you. Cleanse me. Remove that sin from me. Uh, make me right before you. Help me to walk in your ways. So it's, um, David is moved by that and writes this beautiful psalm that we have. So uh, we see David's heart of repentance because of his sin. But again, a man after God's own heart, but his sin just has such personal effect in his life and it affects the whole nation because of who he is. And it reminds us of just how poisonous, how awful sin is. And we need to be careful in our lives that we are walking in God's ways, that we're walking the light as Gabriel was talking about today, that we're walking in the right way, that we're walking in God's truth. Because sin does have a devastating effect in our lives. It's, it's extremely important that we see that. And even a man like David, a man after God's own heart, if he's not careful, if he's not doing what's right, if he's not acting in the right way, he can fall into sin and can have a devastating effect. So, so another, another important theme, I think, in Second Samuel that we need to see. So any thoughts or questions at this point? Okay, we only have one more section, so I think we're going to get done a little bit early today. So This will be the only time after this is going to be long and hard to the book of Samuel. Okay, so we'll look at some of these verses here, though. Important to people in 2 Samuel, number one, number one most important person, the, the, the main person the book is about is David. Not Samuel, not Samuel he's dead. But David. He's from the tribe of Judah, the eighth son of Jesse, chosen to replace Saul's king. 
Um, 2 Samuel 8... Uh, 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 11. Let's read those. If you haven't turned your Bible away from there and held your place there, you should be there. Who would like to read that? Jonathan, go ahead. Now therefore, so shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheep foot and fallen the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with you wherever you went, and I shut off all your enemies out of your sight, and have made you a great man, like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more at that time. And as since the time that I have commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you in heaven. How about that for a, a life story of synopsis? I've taken you from the sheepfold and I've made you, uh, I've made you uh, uh, from sheep to be ruler over the people of my nation, Israel. And then I've, I've cut off all your enemies. I've given you safety. I've given you a place to live. I've, uh, the sons of weakness aren't going to oppress you anymore. Uh, it caused you to rest from all your enemies. That, that's David's life story there. That's pretty cool, huh? That's 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 David's story there. Now, mind you, there's a lot going on in between then, from when he got pulled from the sheepfold, he got chased by Saul for like uh, 18 to 22 years. Um, so you know that that was something he had to endure for a while. Um, but but God's really blessed David, um, and, and again, David was a man who was for the most part an upright and faithful man, a man who loved God. A man who tried to please God, a man who tried to do what's right for the most part, and, and God blessed him and, and used him in great ways. And uh, David has a good testimony uh, of how God has used him and God has blessed him. And so, just kind of a neat guy. So David, important person. Next person, Bathsheba. Anybody know anything about her? She doesn't show up a lot, but she kind of is important in the story for a couple of reasons. Uh, she's wife to Uriah the Hittite. Um, Uriah the Hittite, of course, is a soldier in David's army, uh, possibly a commander in his army. Uh, she's one who David committed adultery with, uh, and he murdered Uriah to cover up his sin. And then he married Bathsheba. Uh, what makes her kind of important is that she is the mother to this guy named Solomon, and Solomon becomes... He becomes, first of all, the next king of Israel, which is important because that's the next king of Israel. But yeah, he becomes the wisest man uh, to ever live. and The richest man, the richest man to ever live. Uh, one of the most famous men to ever live. And also a man whose heart turned away from God in his old age. And we sometimes forget about that, but he was one who, uh, um, and I think it's, I can't remember if it's, I think it's in First Chronicles, no, it's not in First Chronicles, I think it's in First uh, Kings where it talks about First Kings 11 that uh, his many wives turned his heart away from God. And it, it starts at 11 when it says, but uh, Solomon loved many foreign women. And it's one of the, the most, uh, I think the most regrettable buts in the Bible that this is a man who had everything from God. He had everything he needed to succeed. And he let these women turn his heart away from God. 
Um, anyways, we're not talking about Solomon. That's for the next book whenever we get to that. Bathsheba. So 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 5. Who would like to read that? Shanna, go ahead. So there's your introduction to Bathsheba. We'll talk more about that incident and uh, the many, many things that David did wrong even before verse 2 um, because David made some poor choices even before that. Uh, by the way, Bathsheba, the, the first part of her name, Bath there, that's uh, Hebrew for daughter of, so daughter of Sheba. Um, just like uh, um, Ben is son of in Hebrew. Uh, you've heard of... Uh, like uh, Bar Mitzvah, it's kind of a son of the covenant. You got that uh, Mitzvah, it's the daughter of the covenant type of idea. So it's mm-hmm. the same kind of idea there. It's just in case you were wondering about the Hebrew. So anyway, so Bathsheba. So she's important for a couple of reasons there. Um, she'll show up later in the book also towards the end of the book when, uh, um, I don't know if it's actually at the end of this book or at the beginning of Kings when, uh, I think it's at the beginning of Kings when, uh, one of David's sons is trying to set himself up as king and Bathsheba goes to David and says, hey, look, you promised Solomon could be king and she kind of works it out so that Solomon gets to be king. So uh, she's instrumental in that also, getting her son to be king um, as a mother probably would want to do. Um, so Nathan, who's Nathan? Not that one and not that one. <laughs> the, prophet. the prophet of God. Um, we see him, he's the one who gets to confront David concerning his sin with Bathsheba. Um, always a fun job. Uh, you talked about confronting people about their sin this morning. Uh, David gets the call from God and says, uh, or David gets the call from God and says, the God says, uh, you need to go confront David about his sin. Um, I'm sure that's like, oh great, yeah, I get to go to the king and tell him that he's wrong. Um, so Nathan tells a wonderful story about a man who has a multitude of sheep and he goes steals the one sheep from the poor man and slaughters it for his feast. David gets outraged and says, that man should die. And Nathan goes, you are the man. Mm-hmm. And David, um, again, being the man after God's own heart, I think his heart was tender and sensitive to that and he came to the realization that, yes, I am the man. And um, understood his sin at that point and uh, repented before God. So, where uh, Saul probably would have just killed Nathan at that point. I mean, that's the difference. Second uh, Samuel twelve one, uh, Jan- Joanna, Joanna, I can't talk this morning. Sorry about that. 
and that, that's the beginning of the story. So there's, there's Nathan going to David. The other place that I remember seeing Nathan, I'm sure there's other places he shows up. Um, the other place is, uh, I remember when uh, David is thinking about building a temple for God. And he goes to Nathan, he goes, hey, uh, I want to build a temple for God. You know, I, God, we just have a tabernacle. God should have a building for worship. And Nathan's like, yeah, great idea, go do it. And so Nathan goes away and God goes, hey, no, bad idea. <laughs> and Nathan has to go back and say, no, 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 wait, hold on. God told me something different. I, I said yes too quickly. So, so Nathan sometimes jumps the gun a little bit too. Um, Yeah, that, that, that can be a little bit scary. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, I, I almost wonder if they had a, if he actually had a, a good relationship, you know, not necessarily like Jonathan, but I wonder if he had a relationship with David like uh, Jonathan. It, it seems like it's... It, it, it looks that way. Yeah, I mean, you, you see, like I, said, like I said, even with that, the temple thing, it looks like David's like, hey, Let's, let's, what do you think of this idea? And Nathan's kind of like, yeah, that's, that, yeah, it's kind of like, like they, they're almost conversational, like, like they were friends at least. Um, Absalom. Absalom is the son of David. He's the brother of Tamar. If you don't know who Tamar is, we'll study that. He usurps the throne from David, um, and he's eventually killed. Um, 2 Samuel 14.25, Abigail, you should read this. I was going to call on you anyway, because I figured you'd like this verse, but you obviously knew that you'd like this verse. 1425. Abigail likes to read verses about good-looking men, apparently. Yeah, he... So, so what kind of man was Absalom? He was... He was the, he was a nice-looking guy, yeah. Not a good person, though. Um, so he was the son of David. He's, he's the one who, uh, again, he, he, was, he murdered his brother, his half-brother. Um, he stole the throne from David, tried to kill his father, um, ends up dying because of it. Uh, several chapters are dedicated to him taking over the throne, so we'll study him out a little bit. Joab. No, he's the, his brother. But to Aslan was born three sons and one daughter. I think he may have also had a daughter named Tamar. Yeah, it's a family name. But but the the, the the Tamar I'm thinking of is his sister Tamar. So yeah. Yep. Well, we'll we'll hash it out. Okay. Yes. So Joab, Joab's the next guy on my list. He's the general of David's army. That's all I'm going to talk about now. We're going to talk about uh, Joab and what an awesome guy he was. Um, Joab. May I say this? He's he's quite unlike David. Second um, Samuel two twelve and thirteen. You would like to read that? Go ahead, Gabriel. 
Your Abner, son of Ner, and servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gideon. And Joab, son of Uriah, and the sons of David went out and met them by the pool of Gideon. So they sat down one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. So this is where Joab first shows up here, and Joab is uh, serving as David's general. Um, and again, I'm not going to share too much about him. He, he appears a lot in here and does a lot of really not-so-good things. And uh, we'll talk a lot about Joab and his bloodthirsty ways. Um, Ishbosheth. Say that three times fast. Ishbosheth. The son of Saul... He was king over Israel for seven years. Maybe you didn't know that. Some of you probably did. Um, and I say that king over Israel for seven years, at the same time David was king over Judah. There was actually a little bit of a competition here as to who was going to be the next king. Um, he was eventually assassinated by his servants. Second uh, Samuel 2, 8 through 11. Who would like to read? Matthew? So Ishbosheth was was uh, one of the sons that remained of Saul. Uh, he had four sons; three were killed. Ishbosheth remained. Um, Ishbosheth actually had another son, who we later uh, will see that David shows kindness to and takes into his house uh, for the sake of Saul. Remember, uh, David made a couple promises to Saul that he would show mercy to his house when he became king. And those rare moments when Saul was kind of felt sorry sort of, and did kind of that pseudo-repentance type thing that he did. Um, and David made some promises that he would show mercy to Saul, so one grandson of Saul kind of remained around for a while, um, and that was Ishbosheth's son. Uh, but Ishbosheth doesn't last very long, about seven years, and then he was killed by his servants. Um, and then we have Abner, who you've uh, already read about a couple times, but he was a cousin to Saul. Um, cousin or uncle, we're not sure that the words are kind of similar in the Hebrew. Um, he was commander of Saul's and Ishbosheth's armies. I, I have Saul in there because you remember him from being commander of Saul's army. In this book, Saul's dead, so he's commander of Ishbosheth's army. He eventually betrays Ishbosheth and joins David, and then uh, is murdered by Joab because Joab doesn't like the competition. Um, so 2 Samuel 3.12, who would like to read that? No more reader. Last one. Miriam. We're going to do it again. So Abner is instrumental in making sure that Israel becomes David's kingdom uh, by betraying the son of Saul. So those are some of the important people. That's obviously not everybody that shows up in the book, but those are some important people to remember. Again, this is a nice little handout to have, so you can kind of remember some of these people and some of the themes here. It doesn't cover everything, 
not huge on introduction stuff because it's hard to pick out what are you going to cover, what are you not going to cover, but it's kind of some thoughts so we can head into Second Samuel kind of with an idea where we're going, what we're looking at. Next week we'll look at chapter 1. Um, again, a very interesting chapter, and I think there's a, there's a huge theme in chapter 1 here about uh, the sovereignty of God and the choices of man. And maybe you can kind of think about that a little bit. Um, or maybe you just want to come and I'll just tell you what I think when, I get, when we get here next week. Either way, uh, we'll look at that next week. So any other thoughts or questions? One thing that I did, you brought this out, and I didn't mention earlier, is the fact that uh, when you under that Bathsheba, I put it, uh, David was a man of uh, weakness. And it's not just, it doesn't just show up here, but it shows up various different places. Uh, in, uh, throughout the whole narrative. He's a man of weakness. He, that, this is where he really learns where, where God reveals this to us. That as king, yes, he's ruler, he's with all this, all the good stuff, he's still a man of weakness. And, there, and here's one of his areas, or here's an area, or here's an area. And if you go through the narrative, I think you'll see it. Well, and, and the thing about the Bathsheba account, too, especially you see, is that he didn't just all of a sudden one day wake up and sin with Bathsheba. He made a series of choices that led him to the place that put him in a position where this happened. And a lot of times that's how our sin works, is it's not just all of a sudden we just go and do it and uh, how did that happen. A lot of times it's a road that we lead ourselves down just a little turn off the path and all of a sudden we're miles away from where we wanted to be. Um, and, and we'll talk about it when we get to that uh, chapter there, obviously, but um, you know, we, it, it's a reminder that you know we we need to be careful that we are we're not feeding the flesh, that we're not you know just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and we start to to stray off. You know, you you look at it, it's not blue doesn't work, Nathan. The blue doesn't work. You know, for this is the path of God. You know, you, you start here, and you know, I'm just a little bit off there, right? I'm not really far off the path. But you start extending that out, and eventually, you know, you start getting farther and farther off the path the longer you go. And that's kind of how it is with sin. You know, you're, that's just a little, I'm not, it's just one little thing. And, but eventually it starts to get farther and farther away the farther out you go. So we need to be, very careful about how we're walking again it doesn't take very much and we can be miles off from where God wants us to be so anyway and, and we'll talk about that but it's a, it's a good reminder any other thoughts I'm trying not to preach and teach too much here anything Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Jonathan, will you close us?